0: Hello, Funky Listeners.
1: Hi. This is your host, Peter. And this is... Not Peter.
0: Also known as Kyle. And you are the listeners, of course, if you weren't already aware of that. Welcome. Yay. So, Kyle, um, we recently developed this idea... I I think it might have come from when we had that episode a little while ago about... um, just about kind of like the conversations of race in general um you know obviously it's been more um more in the forefront this year yeah and for you sure you could you could say and, you know and we had a bit of a discussion about that uh, a couple of months ago um i i feel like indirectly from that cuz i know we had said at the time like we were, we were going to occasionally have um more episodes to discuss race in like kind of how it pertains to music basically um, mm-hmm. And I think this idea kind of spawned from that. Basically, certain musical, I would say probably even most musical genres, you know, I think people tend to associate them with kind of a single race of people. Um, yeah, yeah. I thought it would be interesting to kind of dive into some of those, like exploring historically why that's the case, but then also looking at a few people in each of those genres who are not that race, and kind of, like, defying those expectations, basically.
1: Yeah, yeah, kind of, like, diving into, like, almost uh, musical stereotypes, so to speak.
0: Yeah, that's a good way to put it.
1: Yeah, yeah, Um, you're right. I I think this was kind of born out of our discussion around, um, you know, the racial tension going on in America right now, uh, Black Lives Matter and all that, and, you know, the different stereotypes placed on different musical genres i mean obviously as funk radio we mostly talk about you know funk soul r&b which stereotypically are dominated by black musicians yeah but even other genres that we talked about whether it be rock country uh electronic what have you there's elements of racial bias and racial stereotyping in those different genres because they're they tend to be dominated by one subgroup or another
0: Yeah. So uh, it's pretty interesting. And so we originally had come up with four different genres to tackle. But then we realized during our research stage, Kyle, that um, it would be a lot for one episode. So we're kind of going to split into two. Mm -hmm. Um, With this one, we're going to be um, talking about uh, country and hip hop. Uh, Did you want to go first or should I go first? Because we covered
1: one of these. I guess I I can go first just because... I, I, my research is more poor than yours, uh, so we'll, we'll end good. on a strong note. Basically, in doing my research, I kind of w- wanted to look into the racial stereotypes around hip-hop music. Now, I know, obviously, we've talked about hip-hop a lot on this show before, but for yeah. those of you that don't know, it's a genre of music that was developed pretty much in the United States, mostly uh, in the inner city areas of um, New York and later Los Angeles, um and it's dominated by african americans and and to some extent latino americans yeah and it originally was born out of basically the bronx borough in new york city in the 1970s i don't know if we've ever actually like fully gone into like the actual origins of like hip-hop and rap Um, i feel
0: like we did to a pretty large extent especially when we were talking about that netflix show um was it the Get Down it was called?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a good Which, point. Yeah, we did cover that show pretty extensively.
0: Yeah, and that kind of told a fictionalized version of basically the history of hip hop developing into its own musical genre during that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did, we might have done another one that was kind of like branched off from that. I don't really remember, but I know we did talk about it to a fairly good extent at some point.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. Um, it, yeah, I it's just, a really it's it really, really
0: interesting history too.
1: It really is, yeah. Um, for those of you that don't know, basically hip hop music it can be kind of traced back to um, the 1970s specifically to a guy named DJ Kool Herc who was a Jamaican DJ who is sort of basically credited with originating the music through his quote Back to School Jam that he hosted back in August 11th 1973 on Sedgwick Avenue in the Bronx. And so that set that he, you know, played basically consisted of rhythmic rhythmic music that would accompany rapping uh, and rhyming speech. Basically, it was like the first sort of freestyle rap sort of event, if that makes sense. Got it. The Bronx area um, back in the 1970s was obviously very, uh, let's say, underdeveloped as far as, you know, government funding. It was a very impoverished area that predominantly housed uh, African-American and Latino people. So basically, the entire genre of hip-hop was born out of these sort of impoverished areas, um, starting in the Bronx, but then obviously spreading to other urban areas of the U.S. like L.A., Detroit, Atlanta. Right. So because it was born out of the commonality of basically poor people of color in these really dense sort of urban enclaves it it's it came to basically be stereotyped as you know, this is a genre of music by and for black people right And to a degree, I mean there's there's arguments that can be made that basically the the music sort of codifies the black experience in America, um, everything from obviously, dealing with racism to dealing with police brutality all of that is often covered in hip-hop and rap music but it always kind of struck me that there's really not a lot of white and asian rappers obviously not nearly as many as there are black and hispanic rappers right obviously there's notable exceptions to the rule like eminem's probably one of the most famous rappers in the world he's white yeah but i guess before we kind of get into like some of the sort of the famous rappers that broke the racial mold i guess i'll pose a question to you peter like why do you think rap and hip hop music is predominantly black and, and do you think it's harder for white musicians to kind of break into that genre
0: you mean why is it still today in 2020 still largely yes. considered a black genre if you will
1: yes even though i mean it's it's a 50 year old genre at this point
0: right uh, that's an interesting question. I I think something that we see kind of across all of these genres, not only in today's episode, but in the, like the next one we'll do, on a similar vein. Um, I think the history really, not not necessarily that like people are trying to keep it that way, but it's just traditionally and historically, it has been that way. So while mm-hmm. there have been like small incremental steps or specific performers who have bucks dot trend it's not mm-hmm. we're not really seeing wide scale trends at least yet in terms of like there hasn't really been a wave necessarily of white rappers even though obviously there are there have been you know exceptions to that like you said i, I guess in that sense i'm kind of curious to see in future years and future decades if we will start to see something like that
1: um yeah yeah
0: I, I don't necessarily feel that um, – I mean, I could be wrong about this, I guess. I, I don't necessarily get the impression that, like, rap music is only kind of marketed toward black audiences. Because I, I feel like it has – I would say in the 90s probably and since then. Yeah, it has it kind, kind of, of crossed it, over. Yeah, it's kind of transcended race in, in, uh, from the audience perspective, I guess. Mm-hmm. But in terms of, like, who's actually performing it, I mean, f- to my knowledge anyway – it's still very heavily black performers. So I guess I don't really have an answer beyond kind of just, I wouldn't say history repeats itself, but it kind of sets us on a path that's hard to go against without there being like a whole movement behind it almost.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, Another thing that I kind of wanted to bring up that I thought was interesting specifically about the genre and why it was so, successful i would say in these uh inner city communities something that was brought up in a podcast i was listening to a while back they were describing that the reason that hip-hop music the reason that rapping that freestyle rapping the reason that like even beatboxing became such a thing in these inner city communities is actually because of a lack of musical resources for these inner city kids, you know, they couldn't afford instruments, they couldn't afford guitars, they couldn't afford right. drum, drum sets. So they created a musical genre that to a degree was kind of devoid of instruments. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people back then even even poorer people, they had record players. The, the concept of DJing and record scratching was basically utilizing a, 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 a device or an app, appliance that people already had. beatboxing, basically in, in creating a drum beat with your mouth is basically due to a you don't have a drum set <laughs> and then rapping obviously can often work with or without an underpinning of music to it right so it's it's interesting that this particular genre is kind of born out of the necessity to create music without access to the traditional musical instruments and in musical applications that say White kids or more privileged people had. Yeah. I thought that was kind of interesting.
0: Yeah, and um, actually, in another element of that, that I would say, I've never really thought about this before, but actually, I think the whole concept of sampling plays into that same idea as well. Like you were saying, they were often rapping on top of you know, scratching you know, records that they had on hand.
1: Mm-hmm, exactly.
0: And so the the it's almost like sampling was a way to use previously recorded music as a primary element of the music they were creating because they couldn't create their own.
1: Uh, Yeah, exactly. I mean, country music, as I'm sure you'll discuss, came from poor white communities, but even poor white communities still had access to things that poor black communities didn't have.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, especially, you know, throughout the early to mid 20th century, for sure.
1: So, uh, there are white and Asian rappers. However, they tend to be a lot more rare within the genre. Um, I, I Some questions I kind of wanted to pose is, I think, specifically for white rappers, but maybe to a lesser extent Asian rappers as well, mm. that part of the reason that it's so hard for them to break into the genre is not only the stereotypes surrounding the genre, but the stereotypes kind of surrounding white people as well, where <laughs> yeah. if a white guy tries to rap, unless he's like really, really good, there's a lot more scrutiny placed on him because mm. it's like, oh... you sound corny or, oh, you're trying to just appropriate this culture that's not yours. And I'm curious if, like, if and and, and even just outside of hip-hop music, but, you know, these different genres we're discussing in general, if there's extra scrutiny placed on the sort of outside group because of that idea of appropriation.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think probably... To, like, If we're speaking about today, I don't think people would necessarily approach it in the same way that they might earlier on when these genres are still developing. Mm-hmm. Um, Like, if you had a group of kids in the Bronx in the 70s who were, you know, rapping in the earliest days of it and some white guy walked by and started to try to, like, make it his own, I think that would be accepted differently from, you know, some guy trying to break out as a white rapper today Mm -hmm. because i think not only not only the times have changed but also i think just the perception of these genres has changed so much in the decades since they were born
1: that's a good point too is a lot of these genres were born at a time when the genre was kind of implicated in the group that it originated from where R&B for a long time was considered black music and white people didn't listen to it until you had black R&B musicians quote-unquote crossing over to white audiences and be, and making it more acceptable. Same thing with hip-hop music. It was considered a black form of music that white people didn't listen to and in fact, a lot of white people demonized until it quote-unquote crossed over with white kids in the, in the like late 80s to 90s, like you were saying.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's like all of these genres are kind of Born and sort of cultivated within a certain sort of subgroup or subculture, but eventually kind of through a particular artist or, or not necessarily always trying to appeal to, you know, a larger audience, but just like, hey, I want to be more famous. Right. Breaking over into those sort of cultural, racial sort of barriers and expanding that genre to a, sort of America as a whole. Kind of makes it so that eventually the genre it doesn't become diluted or anything, but it becomes more accessible to people outside of that original group. If that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it does.
1: Another thing that I kind of wanted to mention, I don't in researching for like you know, hey, what white what what white rappers have sort of become famous within the industry. I did find it kind of interesting that a lot of the Ones that became big did so by sort of standing out either aesthetically um, in how they rapped, in their voice, in their appearance, hmm. standing out from um, other sort of let's predominantly black rappers at the time. Um, one that I came across a lot who is a current rapper who's very popular, I don't Honestly, I know a ton of his music right now because I don't know I don't follow modern current rap as much. Yeah. But is uh, the artist Machine Gun Kelly? He's a white rapper. He's really popular, but he he looks like he looks like a more white trash version of Justin Bieber. Interesting. <laughs> Supposedly, he's really good. A lot of people like him, um, but like his aesthetic, what he raps about, his persona, we'll say, is definitely very different from a lot of the uh, the other uh, current rappers, right now. And I was wondering if, like, if that helps, if the fact that he tries to stand out helps him break into the industry by not just conforming to quote unquote, you know, being black, acting black uh, within the genre to kind of fit in.
0: I would say so. And I think not only does that set people like him apart as individuals, but also, you know, historically, I mean, that's kind of how subgenres become a thing is if you have Ooh. one or more artists or groups stylistically doing something you know in a different way that offshoots from it, you know that that often starts kind of like a, a movement in a certain direction. Mm-hmm. So it could be that you know 20 years from now, there's kind of like a white divergence, if you will, of rap music that exists then and then we look back and see, People like Machine Gun Kelly and being like, "Oh yeah," he kind of
1: he was kind of started a, a, a subgenre that. Yeah. of.
0: I'm not saying that'll happen, but you know, that sort of thing could happen.
1: No, that's a good point. It's is that sometimes having crossing the sort of racial barriers of genres kind of leads to the creation of subgenres that conform more to that person's uh, cultural identification, like there you know in 10 years there could be a ton of rap from like white country boys i don't know (laughs) Uh, well
0: um what was it blue-eyed soul or something like that i mean that was kind of like a white offshoot of like r&b or soul music right i think we talked about that a long time ago so i mean that's kind of an example of how it, it kind of take it's not the exact same sort of music but it kind of takes elements of it and was predominantly by a different race of people So Mm -hmm. I I think Mm -hmm. you could see like, I don't really feel like unless I'm just completely unaware of this, I don't feel like we've really seen that yet with hip hop music. Um, Mm -hmm. But I feel like it could happen at some point or, or or it's also possible that we might be historically beyond the point where racially defined subgenres are really a thing anymore.
1: Yeah. I was kind of thinking that it's like, you know, as as music progresses and as we become more diverse and more accepting of that diversity like our mu- it seems like the music genres even though they were formulated in these specific cultural or racial enclaves they've become more amorphous yeah when it comes to both you know new artists ri- new artists rising up within that genre as well as sort of Subgenres breaking off from that that aren't necessarily racially homogenous but right. s- sort of more experientially homogenous. Yeah, like. more
0: of like the stylistic nature of it rather than like whether the yeah. artists are
1: black or white. Exactly. The music that they, you know, that they idolize, that they kind of fit into their genre or the sort of musical upbringing that they had more so than the racial upbringing. Right. So I did want to highlight at least a couple artists that um, sort of broke into this genre. Um, I know I mentioned him before, uh, I don't, uh, and obviously we've mentioned him before on the show as well, but the biggest name that comes to mind is Eminem, a yeah. um, white rapper that broke into rap, became probably one of the most famous rappers of all time. His real name is Marshall Mathers. He goes by Eminem, and he's an American rapper, songwriter, and producer who basically is kind of credited with popularizing hip-hop in middle america basically you know at that point hip-hop and rap were basically east coast west coast thing Mm. you know in the in the especially with gangster rap in the in the 90s and he kind of helped bring uh the popularity of rap to places like his hometown of detroit uh michigan And just kind of spreading throughout the Midwest and and the rural more rural areas, we'll say, mm-hmm. because he was more palatable to a kind of still semi, not racist but culturally standoffish white audience. Right. And while a bunch of his early work in the 2000s was like pretty controversial at the time, he ended up kind of becoming a representation of sort of youth angst against. Uh, of sort of the American underclass mm. basically he he came to kind of unite poor white kids and poor black kids in you know the idea that hey we're all getting fucked economically right? Yeah. and so I think that was part of the thing that allowed him to sort of bridge that gap is that even though he was white he grew up poor, he grew up in Detroit, he grew up around uh, and within the poor black communities of Detroit so he basically obviously he didn't have a one-to-one complete similar experience because he didn't experience as much racism right but growing up in that level of poverty allowed him to better identify with his peers within that genre
0: right yeah that's that's an interesting point of kind of creating um understanding i guess or you know common ground whereas you know people weren't Mm. necessarily making that connection before um and from what I, you know, like, I don't know, like, the entire catalog of Eminem's music, but I'm certainly familiar with his work. Um, and from mm-hmm. what I know about him, it seems like part of his acceptance, I guess, in hip hop music was the fact that, um, from a technical perspective, his rap skills were pretty strong as well. So I think, and probably, you know, and his lyrics as well. So probably those, I'm mm-hmm. imagining that those things probably helped solidify like the respect for him among the community
1: yeah that's that's actually a good point too is that i I don't know if i mentioned earlier is when you have uh a sort of out group sort of trying to break into the in group uh musically that out group or outsider will say is automatically sort of has to be held to a higher standard than people within the genre right. because to break in it's like you almost have to be better and it, this i mean the, honestly the same goes for societal racism as a whole in in areas and fields dominated by white people it's it's black like people have said over and over again it's like it's not good enough to just be the same as them we have to be better <laughs> to be acknowledged
0: yeah no that's a good point
1: so i thought that was interesting um i did want to play just a clip of one of our songs just for uh shits and giggles
0: My two favorite things.
1: So let's play a little clip of his song, Lose Yourself, while I go get some of Mom's Spaghetti. Another thing I wanted to highlight, in doing research for this show, I stumbled upon obviously some interesting articles talking about the problems that white rappers have breaking into um, a predominantly uh, black genre of music, and a quote from an article in The Guardian that I found uh, titled, The Problem with White Rappers, that I thought was kind of interesting. Um, The the author of the article is black, and he's talking about, uh, I guess in the context of this, about his black friends' feelings about white rappers. Mm -hmm. And he said, quote, They wish white rappers would write songs facing their own communities instead of pulling a white lens over black communities. Mm -hmm. I asked them what we do if the communities intersect. And my friends would say that more white rappers should write about the spaces black people in the hood don't know about as intimately as the hood. So, it's kind of interesting because he understands that like there is intersection between black and white communities, especially due to levels of poverty, right. but that there's also a sort of bit of animosity where black audiences basically think like they're like, white rappers are fine, but they should kind of stay in their lane, so to speak. They should rap about their experiences rather than trying to relate to our experiences.
0: And, you know, to an extent, I agree with that. Because, like, a white rapper can't necessarily relate to all the same things as a black rapper could, you know, societally speaking. So, you know, Mm -hmm. to a certain extent, I get that argument. And, you know, I think there is some truth to that for sure. Just for sake of, like, respecting the people who go through certain things that you can't really experience yourself.
1: Yeah, I was, was kind of curious, like, how... Obviously, there's there's always going to be certain things that white rappers will never experience, or white, poor, even white poor people will never experience that that black poor people do. But I was always kind of curious how, where the intersections lie, within those communities as far as things like crime and drug abuse, dealing with you know uh, death, um, whether it be through violence or whatever, and where the lines are of like what white rappers can sort of relate to alongside black rappers that they both experience uh, together, so to speak, through their socioeconomic status. Um, obviously, racism is kind of one thing that white, poor white people don't necessarily experience. Police brutality, to a degree, is something they don't experience. But, I mean, both communities have problems with drugs. Both communities have problems with violence, with lack of education right. opportunities. So, there is some sort of economic crossover there that I think is like fertile ground for sort of either either uh, group to sort of uh, speak right. to. Uh, so so I basically talked about Eminem. Um, he's obviously pre- like the most famous white rapper. And I also wanted to kind of touch on the fact that the Asian American community also is sort of an unre- unrepresented or underrepresented mm-hmm. group uh, within hip hop and rap. By highlighting a famous uh, Chinese American rapper named MC Jin. Uh, his name is Jin Ao Young. Um, and he's an American rapper, actor, uh, songwriter. He's fr- he's of Hakka descent, which is a sort of subculture of of China of China. And he's actually the first Asian American rapper solo rapper to be signed to a major record label in the US. And this was in like the mid two thousands, so like it it definitely seems like Asian rappers sort of followed white rappers, so to speak, in breaking in into the uh, into the genre.
0: It is interesting how late that is, though, in the grand scheme of
1: of all of rap.
0: Uh, uh, Yeah,
1: I know, right? I was thinking, I was thinking, like, wow, you know, I would have thought that Asian rappers would have broken in, you know, much earlier, but not really. So, he was born in Florida, he moved to Queens, New York when he was young, and while he was there, um, he participated in many rap battles with many of his peers, and he began performing uh, freestyles and selling his own mixtapes on the streets and in hip-hop clubs, basically wherever he could, and I guess while battling rap battling on the streets, he was spotted by uh, a man named Kamel Pratt, who ended up becoming his manager. Uh, and together they formed a recording studio called Crafty Plugs Entertainment. Hmm. His big sort of breakout success came in 2002 when he was on BET. And they, it invited local rappers to kind of compete in a freestyle segment known as Freestyle Friday. And I guess unlike other competitors, because he was Chinese, he would occasionally uh, speak in Cantonese uh, in his freestyle verses. And after winning seven battles in a row on the Freestyle Friday show, he was inducted into the Freestyle Friday Hall of Fame. Sweet. So basically, he was a really good freestyle rapper.
0: Which I feel like is its own skill in itself within hip-hop music.
1: Very true. So rather than playing a particularly uh, a particular recorded piece um, by MC Jin, I actually found a clip of him freestyling on like a radio show that sounds really oh, cool. good. So uh, let's play a little clip of Jin of MC Jin freestyling. You won't find me in the club going up on a Tuesday, but I will show you where the bars at since it's doomsday. One time for the haters, two shades of the industry fiascos like I was Lupe. You know it's true, say they keep harassing me, Jin. I know you've seen disaster first, Cassidy. Jump in the ring, just give give 'em a price. Hey, like Cass said, you know if the chicken is right.
0: I I always have. I think I've said this before, on the show, but I I have like a special level of respect for people who can freestyle. Oh yeah. Just cause like my brain doesn't work that fast to barely even like keep up with what they're saying, let alone come up with understand how they can come up with it that
1: fast. Yeah. It's pretty nuts. Like I literally can't read that fast, let alone think of words that rhyme (laughs) that fast. Uh, So yeah, um, that's all I got Um, on hip hop music and sort of it's a cultural or racial it's, uh, shits. Yeah. Racial shits. <laughs> Perfect. Um, Here's
0: your episode title. Um, so, so yeah. So I, I, on the other side of the spectrum, I guess I did, um, a little bit of high level, um, research into country music for this uh, within the bounds of this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, we're probably going to get through this segment a little bit quicker just because I think a lot of what we've covered thus far in this episode kind of applies to all genres mm-hmm, very um, true. rather than specifically hip-hop. So I, I, we've covered a little bit of Grad already, but um, I, so I guess getting into country music just a little bit. Um, so country music in its earliest form started around the 1920s or so. And e- even from the beginning, it pulled from a lot of different influences of, of styles of music. Early on, you know, it was pulling from things like blues, um, folk music um even quote-unquote hillbilly music you know so those were kind of some of the earlier inspirations for it you know as these kind of white singers were slowly defining what the genre was mm-hmm. as time went on especially like even i think as early as the late 30s but mostly into the 40s and 50s um culturally there was kind of a fascination with like cowboys and like western films and all that Mm-hmm. And as part of that whole kind of pop culture movement, co- country music became more focused on the idea of like cowboy singers and that kind of whole s- style of music. Now I will say, um, just pausing really quick, talking about cowboys. Um, I listened to a podcast within the last two weeks, maybe that was basically explaining the history of cowboys in you know, the Western U S and Basically something that most people don't know, and I certainly didn't know this, is that the majority of Cowboys historically were actually black, but like when you see their portrayals in pop culture, like in movies and everything, that's almost non existent. You know, they're mm-hmm. always kind of like the white hero sort of character mm-hmm. or the white rebel sort of character. But like if you go back to the actual history of it, in most cases, you know, these were black men who had recently basically come out of, you know, slavery if you will and you know the their kind of farmhand or similar sort of roles on ranches in the west was kind of an early form of work basically for these former slaves um or if nothing else for people of color who were discriminated against heavily at the time even if they weren't technically slaves like this was just you know a form of work that they had. So, I mean, I'm not saying that like that has necessarily ties with country music necessarily, but just cowboys specifically, I never really knew that before. So that was interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, So I guess you could say that white people definitely appropriated the the concept of the cowboy, if nothing else. So, and you know, I could spend 20 minutes talking about all kind of the different offshoots of country music. It's almost like more of like an umbrella of like, Dozens of sub genres of music. Mm-hmm. Um, just because especially nowadays, like there's so many different kinds that it's, you know, it- it's hard to because there's like outlaw country, there's honky tonk, there's, you know, I I think in the last maybe 10, 20 years, it's kind of become more taken strong influence from like pop music, you know, mm-hmm. so it- it's been I feel like it's been a very um, organic thing. So it's hard to really tie it down as like one specific genre. Which, um, which I suppose is interesting because, like, I don't, I've never really had like a strong awareness or proclivity toward country music.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But it's, I guess, it is interesting to kind of realize that yeah, it's actually incredibly diverse in stylistically, at least.
1: Yeah, just as there's a lot of different subgenres of hip hop, I'm sure there's a lot of different subgenres of country music.
0: Yeah, and even or something like electronic music, you mm-hmm. know. I I think it's practically impossible to have a conversation about that without discussing like all the different variations of it. So um, I I think that's the same kind of goes for country music. So kind of for that reason, just for sake of time here, um, I'm not going to go into like all different versions of it. Um, But the the kind of the main takeaway is that um, it's pretty much all historically been performed by white people. And in the, the topics covered, especially as, like, from the mid-20th century till now, has been largely the life or the, the um, challenges of lower-class white people, kind of as you mentioned earlier in this episode. Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of looking into, like, basically why, not necessarily, I mean, it, it still is extremely white <laughs> as a genre today, but even historically, like, why was it, like, only white people and -hmm. it really comes down to at least from what i could tell largely the way that the music industry was structured and just culturally because you you kind of touched on this earlier with the concept of white music and black music kind of staying in their own lanes culturally speaking um Mm -hmm. and you know it wasn't really until like maybe the 50s or the 60s where you started to see a couple of like crossover singers Mm -hmm. um who really you know started bringing those two racial groups together in terms of like who was culturally accepted in terms of like who could listen to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so historically, I mean, country music was really, like I said, performed by white people, but it was also marketed toward white people as like, here, here's y'all's music. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, uh, genres like blues, for example, were basically entirely all black musicians and they were marketed toward black people. And it was considered more or less risque for white people to be listening to, like, blues, for example, Mm -hmm. Uh, and and that sort of thing. So a lot of it actually comes down to kind of how it was sold almost as much as the origins of, like, who was performing it, you know? Mm -hmm. Like I said, from what I can tell, modern-day country music is more integrated with kind of pop music so it could be that that barrier is slowly coming down probably not as much and the same rate as like hip-hop was though yeah you know while while the average person could probably name one or two three white rappers i, I mean can you pick out any black country singers like probably not
1: i um, didn't know either the ones you're going to talk about before you wrote them down so
0: neither did i <laughs> And again, I, I think to an, a certain extent that comes down to, you know, how familiar a certain person is with the genre.
1: Because
0: mm-hmm. um, I, I think big country fans might be like, oh, yeah, I can think of, you know, five different black country singers at the top of my head. But I would say f- a lot of people probably couldn't. So in, in terms of examples of black country singers, which in, in itself, that phrase is almost just funny to say. I, uh, I, I kind of picked one guy from like kind of earlier in country music historically and then Mm -hmm. I tried to pick one that was more like modern day so in terms of like historically speaking um there was a guy named Charlie Pride who was I I don't think technically he was like the first black country singer but I think he was certainly one of the first popular ones so he was his music was popular from the I'd say the mid-60s into the 70s even to early 80s uh interestingly before he got into music his first career was actually as a baseball player Hmm. And so from the early 50s to at least 1960, he was a pitcher for several different teams, um, initially in the Negro Leagues, but then also kind of going into the minor leagues after Mm -hmm. that. Um, I think he tried out for a couple of major league teams, but that never really panned out.
1: And this was post Jackie Robinson, I assume?
0: I would think so, yeah.
1: Yeah, when did Uh, Jackie Robinson do his thing?
0: I don't know the exact years of that, but I... Imagine it was probably a little bit. Oh wow, 1940s. Yeah. So, and of course, you know, in the 50s, the Negro leagues were obviously still a thing because he was playing in them. I I don't know exactly when those stopped, but it seemed like at some point in the 50s he kind of transitioned to the minor leagues. So I don't know if that was because the Negro league stopped necessarily. I probably should have looked into that.
1: That's a good point. I'm curious, like when was the quote unquote Negro league disbanded and just turned into the minor leagues? I assume that it probably, probably had the point when they stopped segregation, which was the '50s, right?
0: Yeah, I'm looking. Except, oh. So it looks like 1951 is generally considered the last season of the Negro leagues.
1: Okay, that's interesting. that kind of makes sense because that's about the I think 53 was Brown versus Board of Education ruling, which basically said segregation is not equal. Right. So. So.
0: Yeah. Anyway, so he was. I. I. You don't really hear of, of like. Former baseball players necessarily becoming musicians, but um, so that's that's sort of an interesting backstory. Anyway, so mm-hmm. in the early '60s, kind of on the side, he started you know writing and performing and recording music. I think by I was think like 1966 or thereabouts, um, he got his first record deal. As his music started to be played on the radio in the '60s, listeners and radio DJs alike actually didn't realize he was black. Just by the style of his vocals, you know, people couldn't distinguish him from, you know, your run-of-the-mill white country singer. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I also read that he, and I assume this was on purpose, but I, it seemed like at least initially he didn't picture himself on like his album covers, um, which I think in the, at the time it was pretty common for people's like own pictures to be on. Yeah. Uh, on the album art. But he didn't do that, and I assume that was purposeful, just to kind of, not necessarily to hide that he was black, but kind of just minimize any roadblocks that that might create um, in terms of his music being distributed, basically. But, you know, eventually, I I don't know exactly when this happened, but eventually, it might have been the early 70s when people realized, like, oh, this guy is actually black. Um, But by that time, he had already become so popular and made a name for himself that like and like you said the times were changing to some extent in terms of how the races were divided so by the time he people realized that he was black it wasn't really like a problem per se um
1: yeah that's good i that's kind of sad that like it was so segregated at the time that a black artist basically had to hide and disguise themselves so to speak yeah. to be successful in the genre yeah
0: yeah So he was releasing music, you know, from the mid 60s into late 60s, obviously. And by 1971, Charlie Pride released his biggest hit called Kiss an Angel Good Morning, um, which actually won him the Country Music Association's Entertainer of the Year Award. So, you know, for the time, that's pretty impressive for, you know, because that was from what I know, that's like the biggest award that they would give out each year so for mm-hmm. that to go to a black singer I mean that's pretty progressive for 1971 True. Uh, for country music anyway so that's pretty cool and so I wanted to play a, a short clip of this song uh, Kiss an Angel Good Morning
1: you got to kiss an angel good morning and let her know you think about her when you're gone kiss an angel good morning Lover like the devil when you get back home. He's got a nice smile.
0: He does. Yeah, so, I mean, as you can tell from his voice, I mean, like, if you played that for me and I didn't know he was black, like, I would never have guessed that he was. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not not trying to say, like, oh, well, black people talk the same way or anything, but, you know, I I think largely because everybody kind of has that preconceived notion that practically all country singers are white, is uh, mm. that there was no distinction, I guess, in his vocal style
1: that, that would have made that anybody funny, question that. The, I was going to say, the funny the thing I always thought was so funny about country is that it's like to play country and to be a country musician, you have to put on a sort of twang yeah. in your voice. Yeah. And there's plenty of country musicians that – for all intents and purposes, aren't from the South. They aren't from Texas. They're from California or like uh, Keith Urban, I think, is Australian, uh, Uh, who basically sing in this sort of Southern cadence because that's just what the genre demands.
0: Yeah, that's actually – that's an interesting point. It's almost like a characterization that you have to embody.
1: Yeah, and – modern country music i mean i've always joked modern country music is just pop music with a southern accent
0: yeah <laughs> i mean that's a that's a pretty good way to say it i would i would think um so obviously you know that's on par with any other country music you would hear from the time um and mm-hmm. i obvi- or even more or even better than that because obviously he won that award and it was uh, that song in itself was just like a huge hit as well um and that certainly wasn't his only hit song i mean he wasn't a one-hit wonder by any means Over the course of his career, actually, he released 39 different number one singles um, and sold over 70 million albums. Um, And interestingly, on his record label, RCA Records, he was second only to Elvis Presley, which, considering how incredibly popular Elvis was at the time, Mm -hmm. you know, the fact that he was second only to him, I mean, that says something for his popularity. Uh, Slightly more recently, um, in 2000, he was inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame.
1: When did he he die?
0: I think he's still alive.
1: What? Oh my gosh, he is. He's 86. Damn. Hmm. Well, that's cool.
0: And something else interesting too that I almost forgot to say is that because we were talking earlier about um, hip hop and to what extent like basically poor white people could relate to poor black people. Mm -hmm. And And country music and with Charlie Pride specifically, it's almost kind of the reversal of that. Like... Because I think his background as like a baseball player actually helped like that, that story, like when people like learned that he was black, that story actually kind of helped people embrace him a little bit because being kind of like blue collar America, you know, a baseball player, I mean, it's a very like Americana sort of story. So I think a lot of people, you know, in the country music community accepted him for that reason as well. That's a good point. So sort of interesting.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so I, I guess fast forwarding a little bit into kind of more or less modern day country music there's there's another guy who I picked out um, named Darius Rucker so he actually, in, back in the mid 80s he first gained fame as the lead vocalist and rhythm guitarist of the rock band um, Hootie and the Blowfish, but then he started releasing solo music in the early 2000s and I think the first album he did of that solo work was R&B um, I don't think it really went anywhere from what I could tell mm-hmm. but then after that he started releasing um, country music albums and that's really where he started making like a name for himself mm-hmm. as a solo singer and so his first country album was called um, Live, Live, oh, fuck, Learn to Live in 2008 and that album spawned uh, three number one singles on the country music chart um, which wow. were Don't Think I Don't Think About It it Won't Be Like This For Long and All Right. He's released other country albums since then, but that first one was his best-selling solo album and also his only one to go platinum. So, mm. needless needless to say, um, it was uh, recept, received very well. So the first single from that album, Don't Think I Don't Think About It, actually made him the first black artist to reach number one on the Hot Country Songs charts since Charlie Pride in 1983. So not to say that cuz certainly there were other black country singers in between these two but i think charlie pride was kind of probably the biggest like the most popular black country singer of you know the kind of those earlier decades and then darius mm-hmm. rucker um i i don't know if he's the most famous black country singer of kind of the more modern day he might be um but if nothing else he's certainly one of the top ones so let's go ahead and listen to a clip of don't think i don't think about it um from 2008 don't think i
1: don't think about it don't
0: think i don't have regrets don't think i don't get to me between the work and the hurt and the whiskey don't think i don't want about could have been should have been overworked out
1: i like that the subject in the music video is like a white guy
0: Yeah, I was actually thinking the same thing. Fighting with his
1: girlfriend or something?
0: (laughs) Yeah, like the story he's telling visually in the music video is of kind of your run-of-the-mill white guy driving a truck in the countryside, you know? Um, But it's also showing him as the singer, Darius Rucker, as the singer, and obviously he's black. So that's interesting. So in 2009, uh, the year after this album came out, he became the first black American to win the New Artist Award From the Country Music Association. So since then, um, Darius Rucker has continued to release many country music albums. I think he's done like five more after that or something like that. Um, With the most recent one being um, in 2017 he released one called When Was the Last Time? So he's still uh, making music. Um, That's cool. Yeah. So I know this episode has gone on pretty long. It's actually good that we didn't try to do four different genres in one episode.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
0: But I, I think it's good that we did these two together because I think there was a lot of common ground of you know I, I, and you know I, I'm sure this will be this the case in the next episode too but I, I think there is kind of is a common thread culturally speaking of kind of the reasons why genres tend to be kind of heavily skewed toward one race or another.
1: Ooh. So yeah um, I guess this was just part one. Uh, you can join us soon for part two where we'll be discussing uh, electronic music and R&B music. Yeah. And if you liked what you heard, uh, you can follow us on facebook.com slash getyourfunk. Uh, you can listen to this episode and many others on places like Spotify, Google Music, Apple Music, SoundCloud, uh, as well as our own website called getyourfunk.com, Yay. where you can listen to our entire catalog. Um, so, yeah, uh, this has been your host, Kyle.
0: And this has been your host, Peter. Thanks
1: for listening to Funk Radio.
0: You have been the listeners. And now I guess that we're done, you won't be listeners anymore.
1: Bye, we love you.